Hey guys, I'm Mandy B. Anderson, and you're listening to the She Who Overcomes podcast. I'm the chief creative officer, a motivational speaker, and a life and business coach at a company called Rayma Team. I'm also thriving in the face of a life-threatening illness called cystic fibrosis. This weekly podcast is a series of real-life stories and conversations meant to encourage you with hope and more importantly, equip you with action steps to transform your life, your career, and your relationships. So grab your coffee and let's hang out. All right, Overcomers, I am thrilled to have our guest on the show today. Laura Moss is a gifted and passionate wellness coach who has overcome many of her own health challenges, including breast cancer and a host of autoimmune issues. And she's done this using the powerful and practical tools she generously shares with her amazing clients. She is an engaging speaker who seeks to encourage women to stand up and take up their space in the world by healing the relationships they have with their bodies, food, and wellness. She received her certifications in eating psychology and mind-body nutrition from the Institute for Eating Psychology and is constantly researching new information to bring even more value and benefit to her brilliant clients. Our conversation is one of those conversations that you're going to want to listen to again and again and again. Her depth of knowledge is exciting and the information she shares with me in this episode is, some of it is mind-blowing for real. So let's dive in and hang out with Laura, an eating psychology coach. Okay, Laura, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to oh have you gosh, here. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be here. This is a long time coming. We've been talking about this for a while. We have been. Yeah. and. Laura has actually been a client of mine for, oh gosh, a while. <laughs> yeah. On and off, like yeah. in different programs and one on one. And helping her grow, helping you grow your business is one of my favorite things to do. Um, I know sometimes you, you feel like you're bugging me because you're sending me all these questions, <laughs> but I love it. Like I, I see so much growth and uh, teachability and also desire to succeed in you, that it's fun to pour into you. So this is just exciting to have you here on the show. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me. This is so much fun. You're welcome. So for for people who can't see us right now, which is everybody, um, (laughs) I have to say we are recording this on a rainy day in North Dakota. And we are both sitting in the podcast studio in black camis, because we had to take our layers off because it's so humid in here. It is. You need gills. You yeah, do. Yeah. It's like, whoa, oh, I just can't even. But uh, before we dive into learning all about what Laura does, I wanted her to share what we were talking about before we hit record <laughs> because I was giving her tips and pointers on like, you know, if you need to take a sip of water, maybe, you know, back away from the microphone so that it doesn't get, you know, on the recording. And I was telling her how Rachel will sometimes say, I'm going to throat punch you because <laughs> you are a loud swallower and a loud chewer. I am, you guys. And and having cystic fibrosis, I'm constantly clearing my throat, <laughs> all this stuff. It's kind of gross. But we we had to laugh because you said 
It is you, an actual. It's an actual I, phobia, it's an actual, an actual disorder, thing? phobia, whatever called misophonia. Misophonia. Yes, misophonia. And I, I have always been that kind of person who needed to have noise in the background, the TV up loud, whatever, at every meal time, which <laughs> is so fascinating because I do talk about that with a lot of my clients. We're uh-huh. going to talk about that in a little bit, but. Um, I do have to have noise on in the background because I cannot handle the sound of people chewing and swallowing. And when I found out that it was an actual thing, I felt a lot less crazy. (laughs) It it justified. Yes. I felt like, okay, this is real. I'm not just being nasty when I tell you, you need to be quiet or we need to turn something up. So you and my bestie need to form a support group. Yes. Misophonia Anonymous. Yes. 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 That would be a great thing. And one of the things I love about Laura is she loves to learn about psychology and learn about all these things. And so sometimes we have fascinating conversations. We do. We have. (laughs) We have a lot of fascinating conversations ranging from uh, entertainment. Yes. All the way down to really deep yeah. things like why do we do this? And I think yeah. those are the type of things as coaches that we probably ask a lot, mm-hmm. and very rare, rarely do people understand why we're even asking them. Right, exactly. I find that a, a lot with a lot of my clients. They sometimes get a deer in a in the headlights look mm-hmm. because no one has ever asked them questions like that before. Yes, and I forget myself that. People don't live in that space on a daily basis like I do, Mm -hmm. you know, and so it's always kind of fun to see people's reaction to stuff like that. It is. So let's dive in and school the listeners on what it is that you do, what you're passionate about, a little bit of your story, too, of whatever you feel comfortable sharing. And let's start with what exactly is an eating psychology coach? Okay. Well, that's a big, big question. And... (laughs) I um, have been a certified eating psychology coach for a little bit over three years now. So I've got some background to be able to answer that question. But I also know that I don't um, I didn't design the program that I went through. Mm-hmm. So I, I have it's going to be my own answer. That's so there, my disclaimer. There is a program. That there is you a got program. There is. I got um, my certification from the Institute for Eating Psychology. And it was founded by a gentleman named Mark David. And he spent a number of years in the nutrition industry and the supplement industry and all of that stuff. And um, that whole, uh, it's a really big number, but 98% of people who go on restrictive diets or and or combine it with punishing exercise, 98% of the pounds that are lost are gained back. Whoa. So only 2% of people Mm -hmm. find a sustainable lifestyle and sustainable being over the course of time, not necessarily for the rest of their lives. Do they stay in that space? Right. Um, But they find something that is able to be sustained and then evolves over, you Mm -hmm. know, a number of years after they initially lose the weight. But Mark David um, realized that what really needs to change isn't just behaviors. It's the internal um, relationship that we have with food. So one of the things he's um, famous for saying is how we do food is how we do life. And if you stop and think about that, that is so profound. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people that will resonate with because... Um, Can you repeat that again for How listeners? we do food is how we do life. Whoa. Yeah. And, and it's so true. Like if we're rushing through life, if we're on autopilot, if we're checked out... That's how we're going to be with food. 
And so all we really have to do is look at our relationship with food and we can find all kinds of doorways to healing different parts of ourselves that we have. (laughs) I'm doing an online program right now called Embody. And in one of the first videos that I did for the class, for the program, um, I talked about Paul Blart in the Mall Cop movie where he talks about peanut butter fills all the cracks. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. (laughs) That is what... A lot of us do with food. Mm-hmm. We try to find ways to patch our own selves up. Um, and some people use shopping and some people use other substances. You know, mm-hmm. I deal with people um, um, and their relationship with food. And that's basically what an eating psychology coach is, is someone who is trained to be able to help you uncover and untangle your relationship with food so you can more fully show up in the world the way that you were created to show up without... Okay hiding behind behaviors and, um, and a lot of, you know, I have a lot of clients come to me and they want to lose a certain amount of weight, which is fine because I mean, there are people who feel the need. Sorry, I just bumped the microphone. (laughs) That's okay. Um, there are a lot of people who feel the need to, you know, show up smaller than the size that they are. What I tell everyone all the time, anyone that I work with is that's great. I don't know what you're supposed to weigh. You don't know what you're supposed to weigh. And that's going to be a secondary benefit from working with me. What will happen working with an eating psychology coach is you will have more peace with food. You will have more peace in life. You'll have more peace with yourself. And it it actually bleeds over into how we interact in our relationships with other people. So long answer to a question about eating psychology. It's fascinating, though, because a lot of people don't stop to think about that. And I know, like, I have certifications as a lean health coach through the Dr. Sears Wellness Institute. And it's not something that I am actively doing anymore, but having that background was is really important to me. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it's, it's given me the ability to help my clients too, when they come in and, and help direct them at least with the basics sure. and like, where should you go? And yep. I think- I have found in my own health journey that we need to kind of there marry like medicine, traditional mm-hmm. Western medicine with natural things. Mm-hmm. And there's there's a happy medium. Yep. Because especially with a disease like CF, you have to take your medication or you are not going to be able to breathe. Right. Been there, done that. And right. I am telling you, it does not end well. However, there are things you can do naturally to to help mm-hmm. build your immune system, help your body have less mucus, like not have dairy, you know, eat more garlic, stuff like that. And so um, it's really fascinating to understand all of that. At the same time, because I grew up with this whole concept of eat anything and everything to gain weight and stay at a healthy weight, I find that when, when life gets hectic, I fall back on those those habits mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. eating all the chips, eating mm-hmm. like I can sit down and eat a bag of chips at one time, no problem. Sure. And I don't even feel sick from it. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's just my body was hungry. Mm-hmm. You know, I needed mm-hmm. the, I needed those, yeah. I needed the calories, but I just fed it empty calories. And so not that I'm against chips because I'm not, but moderation is always good. And so um, what's fascinating to me about what you do is that psychological aspect of understanding why you do that. Mm-hmm. That's something I used to kind of baby step people into thinking differently mm-hmm. um, about food, yep. just asking them those questions. Yep. Like, 
paying attention to what you're eating, what's causing you to want to eat this. Yeah. And a couple of years ago, you and I and Rachel had a conversation mm-hmm. about why we eat certain things. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I think it would be fascinating to share a little bit with that uh, of that conversation with mm-hmm. our listeners because we talked about how we were Rachel and I were going through um a season where she was going through a divorce and so there were a lot of emotions mm-hmm. and we found ourselves eating bags of chips and she was living with us at the time and so um we were eating so many chips <laughs> like all chips the are chips good. <laughs> it was like the summer of chips mm-hmm. and the summer of candida because then we had like all these issues yes. in our gut yes. and it was like it was not good. Right. But you explained it to us as to why certain emotions cause us to eat certain things. And we were like, fascinated. Yeah. Well, and it is really fascinating. And before I dive into that, um, I you were talking about chips and empty calories. And that was a couple of things that you mentioned there. And um, another thing that I work on with people, because we live... Um, in this world and and in the United States, in this really intense diet culture, and thinness is valued, and um, overweight is shamed, and and stuff like that. And I mean, there's just so many different directions I could go. But what I wanted to say about this was, there's no such thing as good food or bad food. Chips aren't good or bad. Pizza isn't good or bad. Ice cream isn't good or bad. Kale isn't good or bad. Um, Chia seeds aren't good or bad. Food is neutral like money. It's what we do with it. It's how we use it. That determines whether it is positive or negative. And I, that's another really big paradigm shifting thing that I work on with my clients. Because I think most of the time in our culture, in our diet obsessed, thin obsessed culture, we are taught that this is a bad food, this is a good food. And what happens on a deeper level, and this is where my training comes in, when you eat something and you say, oh, I shouldn't have done that, that was so bad, I shouldn't have eaten that, you know, half a pizza, that was so bad. What is internalized within you is that you are bad for eating that pizza. And then what happens then is your sympathetic nervous system kicks in, which is your stress response. Your body can't differentiate between stresses. It doesn't know that those thoughts are coming from internally and that they're really not based in anything factual. Um, And so your body hits a stress response and your sympathetic nervous system um, activates. And that's when you have non-caloric weight gain because you've got um, those stress hormones like cortisol running through your body. And back in caveman times, um, it's said that those... Uh, hormones were helpful because it was mm-hmm. a feast or famine kind of thing. Right. And there were a lot of stresses, you know, being chased by giant dinosaurs and, you know, things like yeah. that created stress. And so the the people who had a, had a high active sympathetic stress response were able to sustain life longer because they were able to have non-caloric weight gain. In our society today, that is not helpful. So when we label food good or bad, Mm -hmm. we are labeling ourselves good or bad. And when we label ourselves bad, that can create so much internal stress that it does cause us to gain weight, whether we eat the chips or not. Mm -hmm. So that's what I want to say about good food, bad food. There isn't, there's no such thing. Right. Okay. Now to your, go. Well, and the interesting thing about that is when you're in flight or fight, when you're in that flight or fight zone. Yep. 
sometimes it doesn't matter what you're eating. No. You're still, you might be losing weight to an unhealthy amount yep. because of all the stress. Yep. I mean, that's, I've, I've been there, done that too. Yep. Yep. And those are, those are also individual. I yep. talk about fingerprints and snowflakes all the time. Mm-hmm. There's no two the same. No two people are going to respond to the same food, to the same diet or whatever, mm-hmm. the same. But when you are in the sympathetic nervous system response, everything slows down. Your digestion slows down because your blood and your the hormones create this fight or flight. Uh-huh. Um, and there's another one, freeze. But yep. um, create that state within you. And then your digestive digestive system slows down and your nutrient absorption is inhibited. So you oh. could, in a stressful state eat that kale sprinkled with chia with yep. high grade olive oil and some beautiful balsamic or apple cider vinegar, whatever piled high with all kinds of organic vegetables. And if you are stressed out, if you're eating stressed out and a simple thing as eating fast can create that stress response, hmm. your digestive system and your nutrient assimilation is tanked. So you're not even getting what you your body could potentially get from that meal uh-huh. if you're eating in that state. My mind is blown here. <laughs> like you can see it because we know each other. Yeah. I'm just like, whoa. Yeah. And so, I mean, those are things that I work on with clients, but reeling it all the way back to yep. the potato chip, the summer of chips um, that you mentioned. When we eat crunchy, salty things, typically it's because we're angry. Okay. Um, when we eat a lot of carbs, when we're craving carbs, and I mean simple carbs, cookies, cakes, breads, those kind of things, that's a lot of times either can be a low energy, we're experiencing low energy, or we're experiencing low mood. Because those those sugars, our, our bodies and brains are pretty smart, but they can be tricked pretty easily. And those simple sugars can hit our bloodstream, and they react a lot like those positive brain chemicals. Mm-hmm. So when we're sad... I mean, that's why people reach for pints of ice cream, uh-huh. you know, and sing Adele songs with tears streaming down their face, you know? So yep. um, there's just, there's a lot of different um, foods that if you're really paying attention, maybe you don't stop yourself from eating the chips, but maybe while you're eating the chips, you say, gosh, I wonder why I'm so angry. Mm-hmm. I wonder what's triggered this feeling of anger. Or if you're piling the cakes and the ice cream and stuff in your mouth, you could ask yourself, I very rarely, I had a client one time, we go through, when I work with clients, um, one of the last things I do in our first session is to just kind of do a rough dietary intake, just to, I want to see what their day with food looks like. And um, I check for a new a macronutrient balance, fats, carbs, proteins, and water. Um, and I had one client and he confessed during this dietary um, intake that he eats a lot of candy, a lot of candy. And hides the wrappers everywhere. Like in his car, his console is filled with empty wrappers. And he doesn't ever go anywhere where there's an impulse lane without buying candy and all that stuff. And we got to the end and I was giving him, I give a a couple pieces of homework after each session with my clients. And um, I gave him his homework and he looked at me like with this look on his face, like I had grown about seven heads. And he's like, what about the candy? And I said, what about the candy? And he goes, well, aren't you going to tell me not to eat it? And I said, no, I, that's not even anywhere on my radar. I mean, I'm glad that you shared that with me. And I think it's helpful for you to be aware of that. But I'm not going to tell you to not eat anything. 
I mean, that's not my gig. That's not what I do. Um, and he came back two weeks later and he hadn't bought one piece of candy. Wow. <laughs> and so my point is you don't necessarily have to stop what you're mm-hmm. eating. Right. Sometimes that's helpful for you. Sometimes if you tune into my body doesn't feel good when I eat dairy products. Right. So I really try to make sure that I'm aware of that, but check how your body's feeling. But also while you're, while you're engaging in that behavior, just check in with yourself. Why am I doing this? Where, where is this coming from? And sometimes we find when I work with clients that where it's coming from is ages old. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a learned behavior from early elementary school, you know, or yep. some difficult relationship with a sibling or a parent or a, or a teacher or a friend or, you know. Mm-hmm. And so um, I don't remember what question I was answering. <laughs> I think we were talking about like why you eat sweets. Yeah, why yeah, yeah. So and chips. I guess I think, you know, bringing awareness and like like giving yourself permission to not mm-hmm. be bad like that gentleman with the candy. Yeah. Once once he gave himself permission and someone from the outside said, do what you want. I mean, mm-hmm. you're an adult. Do what you want. Um, once that kicked in and he realized that there didn't need to be shame attached to it and all that stuff, he didn't even buy any candy. It's not that he ate less. He just didn't. And, and I worked with him for several months after that. And I don't think he ever went back to that habit. We, we talked about it because uh-huh. it became kind of a standing joke between us. He, he would say, what about the candy? And, you know, then we'd laugh and stuff. But um, he, I don't think he ever went back to that habit, you know? And so I, I just, I, it's, I get so excited about what I do. I, I can tell I, your, your passion I just oozes love, out of you. Uh, I do. I love every aspect of what I do. Mm-hmm. It is so awesome to be able to see the light go on in people's eyes where before they were just going through the motions without mm-hmm. any awareness. And, you know, there's no shame in that either because we check out for all kinds of good reasons. Right. I mean, the thing that I work with people and I'm working with this particular program right now with my um, Embody online um, group coaching program is figure out, just bring awareness to it. Mm-hmm. That's all. Yeah. That can create shifts that you would never even be able to imagine. Oh, completely. Yeah. And I want to go back to this because when you when you said the whole thing about food is not good or bad, it's like money. It's a tool. Like, that's the part where my mind is like, oh, my gosh, I've never thought of this. It's like it's neutral. Mm-hmm. I've heard this before on the money side, but not sure. not necessarily from the food side, because there's so many different programs that that you can go into. And sure. you know what? They work. Like you said, think, certain things work for other people. They yeah. might not work for There's no one perfect you. diet. Yep. yep. And I think we get into this this danger zone whenever we think that one way is the only way for for how to eat and exercise and live your life and all these different things and one of the things like I have never told myself I'm bad for eating a bag of chips never in my life yep like that's just something where I'm like nope I I stop when I'm full yep sometimes I overeat just because I felt like it and I know that I can handle it that's one of one of the quote-unquote perks of right. CF that really aren't perks. Sure. But I think for me personally, it was really finding out what foods make me feel good and what foods mm-hmm. make me not feel good. Yep. And and uh, when am I okay allowing the foods that I like just because I like them? Yep. And at what portion mm-hmm. am I okay? Mm-hmm. And when do I overdo it? Yep. 
and and for me that's that's more of what it is but i think finding this out like bringing awareness is so important yep. because my husband he used to be able to eat all the cookies mm-hmm. all the can like he had a sweet tooth like mm-hmm. i i've never met somebody with a sweet tooth like my husband had mm-hmm. and last year he started kind of paying attention to different foods and what he wants to keep putting into his body, what he wants to start doing and stop doing. I didn't even know that he was doing this. Mm. And he was just slowly starting to bring awareness. Yep. And this year, he's been working out with a trainer. He's been doing more weightlifting, some cardio, not a lot, Mm -hmm. just a little bit. And he has been paying more attention to not necessarily eating completely different, mm-hmm. but feeding his body more consistently. Sure. And making sure like he has some shakes a couple times a day because it that's better for him than not eating all day and gorging sure. at night. Yep. And so for him, it was more bringing that awareness and figuring out, okay, what is the schedule of yep. eating that I need to do? And yep. that has worked wonders. Will that work for everybody to do it exactly like he has? Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. And what I, I, what I love about you and Nate is that you guys have the, uh, the initiative within yourselves to go, hmm, I wonder if this food even makes me feel good. Mm -hmm. Because some people don't even know what makes them feel good and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. And there's no, again, there's no shame in that. In the culture, in the food culture, in the diet culture that we currently live in, that most of us were raised in, that is very, very, very common Mm -hmm. and very normal. But to listen to you tell that about yourself and Nate, that you guys know you bring awareness to what makes you feel good, what brings you energy, what doesn't, what Mm -hmm. eating schedule helps you feel better, what eating schedule doesn't really work for you or creates unwanted behaviors later in the day, like mm-hmm. overeating at the end of the day, which is a very real thing when we under eat and restrict during the day. What happens is there's a part of digestion called the cephalic eating response. And that is when your brain recognizes that you're eating. So if you eat too fast or if you don't eat at all, your brain doesn't have time to recognize that you're eating. You've heard that mm-hmm. eat slow. So because your brain, it takes 20 minutes for your stomach to communicate yep. to your brain that you're full. Yep. Well, if your brain's not online while you're eating all day long, you get to the end of the day, your brain's like, listen, friend, you need to feed me. Mm-hmm. And then that's when that overeating after 5 p.m. till, you know, some people eat most of their calories from 5 p.m. until 11 p.m. And then they go to bed with a full stomach. And for some people that does disrupt sleep. So mm-hmm. that that whole thing that where you guys bring awareness, you're what a powerful testimony that just bringing awareness mm-hmm. has such incredible um, potential for change and potential to shift, which I love. Mm-hmm. And um Man, if more people <laughs> did what you guys did, I'd probably have to get some different certifications. <laughs> well, <laughs> and I the other it's... thing I wanted to say about that, though, too, especially with with your husband, Nate, um, something that's difficult, I think, for people to accept, again, in the culture that we live in, is that there is no one perfect diet. Mm-hmm. There is no one perfect way to eat. There's no one perfect way to work out. What works for person A might have zero effect on person B or have the opposite effect Mm -hmm. on person B. And it's all about becoming an explorer and bringing curiosity 
to your relationship with food. A lot of things in the world today are talking about, um, you know, becoming aware of how you show up and and your relationships with other people. But we never talk about our relationship with food. Mm-hmm. And really, truly bringing awareness to that doesn't just shift that. Right. It's, it completely shifts how you show up. Mm-hmm. That's why how we do food is how we do life. So you got to bring that curiosity mm-hmm. to it, which I love that you guys do. It's well, awesome. Thank you. Yeah. I think some of that was forced up upon maybe me because I started noticing certain foods are not affecting me the same way they used to. Right. And they're starting to affect me in a negative way. Sure. Where, you know, getting stomach cramps, not feeling good, headaches. I grew up in my early 20s, like from the time I was probably 15 until my middle 20s, I had pop all the time, soda, wherever you're at in the world. I would have... I call it pop. I call it soda. Uh, I would have, I could down a bag of Skittles in a minute because I was having a sugar crash and I just needed something. I didn't eat any fruits and vegetables or water. Like I never had water. Mm -hmm. And so all of that was giving me a migraine headache at least once a week, if not more. Mm -hmm. And when I started paying attention and making those small shifts, it's not that I don't ever let myself have have pop. Yeah. Maybe a couple times a month, I'll have a Sprite with pizza or sure. something like that if we're out. But it's not a part of my everyday life yeah. anymore. And I feel much better. Yeah. I have more energy. And I think sometimes because of the culture that we live in, people think that if you are skinny and small, you don't have any struggles mm-hmm. or you don't have the right to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Right. And one of the things that I've always appreciated about you, Laura, is that you're open to any conversation no matter anybody's size or point of view. Oh, for sure. And that's so helpful because I think fat shaming and skinny shaming are real. Totally. And they're they're hard. I mean, I can't even tell you how many times in my life people have looked at me if I've shared something about a food struggle or something that I'm changing and they're like, you don't have to do that. Gosh, turn sideways and you don't even see you. You need to eat a cheeseburger. And that just grates me. Like it... Oh my, I, I could just, come I know, out of my chair right now. Oh she is, my you guys. gosh. She is like, oh, deep breathing and holding herself back. But I mean, people think that they yeah. have a right to but, say you know, that. And I think again, like we talked about just a few minutes ago, that is so much the overarching message of our culture. Mm-hmm. If you're thin, you're accepted, you're successful, you don't have problems, everything mm-hmm. must be good for you because we've piled all of that Onto a person's body size. Yes. And the opposite of that is if you're heavy, you're slothful, you're lazy, mm-hmm. you can't get your crap together, you're pathetic, you're worthless, and all that stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. there are tons of studies that show not only height affects a person's pay, but your size affects your pay. Same what? people. Okay, oh, yeah. I have not looked into your this. Same people across the board, a thin person is going to make more money than a heavy person. Whoa. Yeah. And and it's the I mean it I was listening to something today about the women's soccer team and uh-huh. the equal pay. And it's the same I mean, it's just the same story, different um players. Mm-hmm. Men, women, equal pay, heavy people, thin people, equal pay, tall 
people, short people, equal pay. I mean, it's it's there's so many <laughs> constructs that we've put around people's appearance. Uh-huh. It just blows my mind. And that's one of the things that I really am passionate about unplugging mm-hmm. is let's unplug from that. Let's stop assigning. I mean, the, I, I'm sure these people that tell you that you need to eat a cheeseburger and oh my God, I don't want to find those people and punch them, tackle them, whatever. Yep. But um, I'm sure those people think that you don't have any issues at all. Like you're totally fine. You're like, there's no, and they don't even know your story. Right. Why? Or, or they forget. <sighs> it's like, hello, I have cystic fibrosis. Yeah. And like that's not, not something you should wish for yourself. No, no. And I, well, <laughs> there, I've actually had people say, well, if I could just get a serious illness, if I would just get cancer, what? then I could go through chemo and I'd lose all this weight. Well, I'm here to tell you. Yeah. I'm here to tell you I've been through chemo. I didn't lose any weight. They put you on steroids that make you gain weight. Okay. Now some people do, and I'm not, that's some people do really get sick from chemo Mm -hmm. and end up in the hospital and have trouble gaining weight and, you know, maintaining their weight and they lose a lot of weight and stuff. But I actually have had people say to me, that they have wished that they would get a serious illness so that they could finally lose weight. And that is the cost of this culture where thin is everything. Thin is thin is the pinnacle. That's where we all want to get to. And it's bull crap. Mm-hmm. Oh. It's unadulterated bull crap. This is, okay. I First of all, I can't <laughs> believe, I, I if I take a step back and remove myself from the absurdity of that statement and just dig a little bit deeper, I can understand somebody's somebody's pain point of yeah. dealing with something for so long that any solution yes. might be better. Yes. However, comma, <laughs> no. Yeah. Like, I just, wow. Well, and I'll tell you, sitting in sessions with people who, because mm-hmm. it's been more than one client who has said that to me people who don't even know each other. Okay. I mean, completely disparate individuals have said that to me and it's heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. And really that shows me again, like you just mentioned, that's a pain point. And let's talk about that. And Mm -hmm. let's really figure out why there's such a lack of esteem and value that you place Mm -hmm. on yourself that you'd be willing to get very, very ill to change your size. You know, and some of these people don't have, just from an objective standpoint, haven't had much weight to lose. These are not like people who are 150 pounds overweight. These are people that's who what I have was wondering. like five to maybe 35 pounds to lose if I'm thinking about this, the few clients that have said that to me. Okay. So I just have to sit here and think about this for a moment because I can understand that. Like yeah. my uh, growing up, we're just going to talk about this. I had very large bosoms because I was on some steroids in high school and I was a double D. Okay. And all my, I mean, it's a joke that Rachel and I have had since we were at camp as teenagers. Like we used to joke about how someday I'm going to have liposuction. I'm just going to give it to my friends because they wanted more. I had some to share. And so the liposuction joke is something that in our friendship, mine and Rachel's and a couple of our other friends from camp, dates back to like the 90s. Sure. Fast forward in our life to uh, me choosing to go off birth control because it wasn't making me feel well Mm -hmm. and getting 
serious about paying attention to, okay, what am I feeding my body? How is it affecting me? Mm -hmm. And all of that, Mm -hmm. things have changed. And I'm now much more proportionate than I used to be. I Mm -hmm. don't have as much upper back pain like I used to. I mean, it was pretty bad. Yeah. And when I was going through all of that sickness in 2012, I had lost so much weight. I had lost 30 pounds from stress and sickness and heartbreak. It was a perfect storm. I mean, grief does things to you Mm -hmm. that you don't realize on top of, you know, I wasn't taking my medicine for CF. So I was literally fighting for my life. One of the things that I had to train myself to be okay with and to start celebrating was the fact that at that point in time, I could go to Victoria's Secret and have a padded bra. And mm-hmm. finally get all these cute little bras. And it's sure. just sad. At, like thinking about it now. And even then, it was a sad celebration. Sure. Because it's sweet. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't like, oh, this is so cool. It was, I don't know what's happening to my body and I don't know how to stop it. Right. And so, because I mean, I, I did know what was happening to my body, but it just was taking me sure. by so much surprise. And mm. there was so much grief and depression and anxiety all in there that I didn't know what to do. And right. I wasn't ready I don't think I was ready for the help. Right. And so it was just this, this, what is it called? The body morph? Like, isn't there a name? Dysmorphia. Dysmorphia. I understand that. Like Mm -hmm. having to look at yourself in the mirror and be like, okay, I'm going to choose to celebrate this one part because it's actually quite sad to look at. Yeah. I understand what that's like. Yeah. However, I wouldn't wish to go back to, to that at all because- Losing so much weight like that is painful, Mm -hmm. physically painful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, your body aches. I had to sit in the bathtub with a Mm -hmm. towel on the bottom of the tub just to take a bath because my butt was so bony that it hurt. And so I think it's important to have these conversations about this this thin society thing. And obviously at that point in time, people were like, you're too thin. Yeah, I don't well, know I what hope to do they about were it. Saying that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yep, they were. That's good because some. I mean, there are still mm-hmm. like if you. I watched. I think um, it was up until you know, one hundred and five pounds. I was still. People were still envious. People envious. were envious of you after that. It was then like, it got right around ninety eight, ninety two. Sure. Then oh, it was golly. like yeah, and that's when it was painful. Yeah. Like one hundred seven to one ten wasn't bad. Sure, right. Um, still not great. And right. I wasn't going to my doctors at that point, so they weren't saying anything right? because I wouldn't let them. Right. But <laughs> no one was let in at that Nobody moment. Nobody was let in except for like two or three yes. people. And so, um, but but I think it's important to have these conversations. Yeah, it really is. And I, that's again, like I said, one of the things I'm super passionate about is helping women untangle, the, untangle themselves from the messages. And the thing is, there's such deep seated messages mm. and they started so long ago. I, um, for a lot of people, I was, uh, working, I think it's one of the gals that's in my embody program right now, um, has basically been on diets or aware of diets since she was eight years old. Oh, I mean, eight. I look what? at, I, I have grandbabies and uh-huh. my oldest grandbaby is going to be three shortly and already yeah oh my I know. goodness <laughs> isn't it great I uh, remember when you first told me yeah. that you were gonna have your first I know grandbaby it's in actually the family. I love being an Eden psychology coach but being a Mimi beats it like way way beats it I just love being a Mimi but anyway I digress 
Um, seems like whatever I do, I can always bring it around. I know to my you're really good at it. Yeah. But you're always good at bringing it back to the yeah. message. I love it. Anyway. So, um, eight years old, eight years old. I look at, I look at my precious little Hayden and I think that means if you think about the span mm-hmm. of time from, from her age right now until like five more years, five and a half ish more years, she will have, she will, well, and, and this is actually true. She will have already become pretty saturated in the culture without mm-hmm. realizing it. But this particular um, client was eight years old. The first time, I think it was the first time that she um, went on a diet or, or so, it was something along those lines. And I just, that, when it is that deep seated mm-hmm. and then you get to be 35, 40, 50 years old and you start working with someone like me. There's a lot to uncover. There is. There's a lot to untangle yourself from. There's a lot to unplug from. So, um, like you said, having those conversations is so important. Mm-hmm. I love being able to hold space for people in in this. And primarily because it's kind of my story. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have really struggled with not necessarily um, what my actual weight was, but what I thought I looked like. Uh-huh. Um, my whole time growing up, I was raised by two individuals who were hyper aware of of appearance, mm-hmm. and thin was the all time goal. I I remember um being aware of Weight Watchers way before I was in third grade, and oh. I wasn't on it, but I just remember both my parents were heavy dieters, and mm-hmm. um, th- just knowing I. When I was a senior in high school, I'm 5'11 and three quarters. I'm mm-hmm. almost six feet tall. And I weighed 150 pounds. And my dad called me Thunder Thighs. Oh. And I look back at that girl and I think, oh boy. <laughs> and I believed him. You know, I thought, yeah. I thought that everyone that my mom and dad's view of me as being the big girl, the big heavy girl, um, was the truth. And I look back at pictures and I'm like, you were not heavy, child. Mm-hmm. it's so sad that you mm-hmm. believe that. And we all have messages like that, whether they're from our parents, whether they're from schoolmates, whether it's from teachers, whether it's from magazines that we read, mm-hmm. whether it's just, I mean, just being in this culture, right. um, there's so many things that we assign to that. And, and for me to be able to help people um, unplug those things actually helps me show up in a different way in the world mm-hmm. too. So I have a little bit of a ulterior motive. I mean, it just really, it, I, I feel like if more of us show up the way that we were truly created to be and take up all of the space that we were mm-hmm. meant to take up, then we can unplug this diet culture crap. We can, we can d- decimate it. I love that. And one of the questions I had written down that I wanted to ask you is how, how does what you do as an eating psychology coach differ from what maybe a traditional health coach would do. And I think that concept right there is probably a good start of it, but how would you explain that? Um, I think there are a lot of things that myself and eating and um, health coaches do that go hand in hand. Um, There is, there is truth to the human body needing those macronutrients in balance. Mm -hmm. A typical health coach is very schooled in that. Um, I'm also schooled in that. I just don't focus on it. You Mm -hmm. know, that's not. um, And I do do a lot of client directed work. So if that is something that someone comes and they really want help with that, I will definitely help them with that. 
I think the biggest difference between a typical health coach um, who's leaning more in the wellness and nutrition field and myself as an eating psychology coach is that they deal with, and this is not to disparage them, right? they deal with more immediate surface um, external behavior mm-hmm. pieces of a person's wellness. Mm-hmm. And I'm schooled in dealing with those things, but then I add the layer of mm-hmm. let's figure out why, let's figure out what we can do to shift this and let's bring some healing into the equation. And I think that um, psychological, emotional healing in our relationship with food and our relationship with our bodies mm-hmm. is a piece that they don't generally offer as a typical health coach. Mm-hmm. I I think that's an important uh, thing for us to share because – in this, like you and I are immersed in the coaching industry, so mm-hmm. much so that sometimes in our sessions and just in our conversations with each other, we have to be reminded that not everybody knows this. Right. Like, just because we are drawn to it because it's the industry we're in, mm-hmm. we we have to remi- remind ourselves, and you said this earlier, that n- most people don't know this. Right. 98% of these people don't know this. Right. And so one of the things that Rachel and I have really been seeing in the coaching industry that I think we've always done from the beginning, even when we were big blue couch coaching, mm-hmm. but something we really want to kind of turn upside down and disrupt now mm-hmm. as Rayma team is that whole concept of that idea of like the the super positive, fluffy coaching stuff that constantly pumps you up, pumps you up, mm-hmm. but never actually addresses the behavior and the internal thoughts. Mm-hmm. That's not sustainable. And it, it isn't long-term. Right. And it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just go from one high, from one high to another mm-hmm. of, of a conference, mm-hmm. but you don't actually implement anything. Right. And then you wonder why there's people who can go do all that and they're successful, but you're not and you're still struggling. And what it really comes down to is sometimes there are different personalities of people who can go make a ton of money and be successful, but their personal life is sure. falling apart. Yep. And they're burnt out and they're not healthy, mm-hmm. like physically not healthy, but they're not taking the time to notice because their goal is right. They have a, they're uh, driven. different. Yeah, they're, they're driven, driven in a different way, but they're mm-hmm. not, they're not, um, they're dealing with external things. They're not dealing with the internal things. Mm-hmm. And not to say that that going that route can't eventually get you to that sure. wholeness and that, that wellness and that uh, fulfillment that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. But I think this deeper thing of dealing with the internal, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a lot of what we do here. You, we ask deep questions. For sure. Yeah, you do. Um, and You're we're not both, afraid to, that's for sure. We're not afraid to. We're probably both laughing because we're thinking of that day you yelled at me, right? Were you thinking of it? I love how many times you bring that up. It tickles okay, me. The reason I bring it up is because I didn't cry that day and I'm so proud of myself because I, I could have. Yeah. So, and I don't. And it was, I wasn't yelling at you. No, I was yelling you in the same room as space. you. Yes. I, we were in the same yep. space. It was a, it was a tough session where we don't yes. have to talk about no. what it was, but um, one, this is for coaches who are listening. I mean, sometimes you're going to have a client in front of you who is so willing to lean in and go deep, but they're also very passionate and vocal and they might, <laughs> they might 
like erupt volcanically sure. mm-hmm. with emotion in front of you mm-hmm. and make it might feel like they're mad at you, even though you know they're not. And if you're not ready for how to handle that, you might cry. Sure. And that would be fine if you cried. And it would have. Yeah. yeah. I was just so proud of myself. I didn't even have, I didn't even feel like crying. No, which is great. Which I think when you get to that point as a coach, yeah. you're really there to help them. Like you're no longer dealing with your it's own not insecurities. About you. Yep. Yeah. Um, because I, I think you walked out that day and I said to Rachel, I'm not sure if Laura will be coming back. We'll have to see. This was a very tough session. Yeah. Um, but you did. And I you did. have since said to me, listen, <laughs> I always come back. I do. I do. might be late every time. That's but. fine. <laughs> I, I'm i surprised when you're early. <laughs> I know. I like to keep you on your right? toes. <laughs> it's okay. Sometimes I deal with that too, personally. <sighs> but I think I think that's something like being able to ask those deep questions yeah. is important. Well, and I want to just touch on something that you just said about the person who chooses to do all these things and be driven and their health is a mess and their family life is a mess or whatever. And that works for them and stuff. But does it though? My thing is, yeah, it does. I think for a certain, a, a certain set of people in a certain um time frame, mm-hmm. but I don't think life is going to let any of us get away with that for long. Mm-hmm. I really do think that we do to use, I love the word that you used just a minute ago, disrupted. We mm-hmm. become disrupted by life for a reason. Mm-hmm. And when we can get out of our own way and stop feeling sorry for ourselves and ask what it's about and what the message is, that's what I talk about with clients all the time. This behavior, whether it's binging or, you know, eating from five mm-hmm. until 11 PM or um, eating fast or, you know, whatever, there's a ton of different behaviors that I work with clients on. What's it telling you? Mm-hmm. Don't take it personally. Don't get mad at yourself. That's not a helpful. I mean, if you work through that emotion. Right. Right. But get on the other side of it. Get outside of yourself and mm-hmm. just get curious. That's my biggest thing with all my clients. Why? Mm-hmm. What are you doing? Why are you doing it? Yep. And a lot of times they'll come up with answers to those questions that blow my mind mm-hmm. you know because all we have to do is just take a deep breath and get curious mm-hmm. I think that's a good point to bring up too because a couple episodes ago Rachel and I had the topic of the unintended dangers of accountability mm. and I want to talk about this because I think as coaches sometimes when we're not tuned in to really helping and showing up for our client mm-hmm. for them. Yep. Not for us. Right. But for them. Like what does Laura need? Yep. There's a difference between asking a client a question in a way where you're maybe planting a seed for something that they maybe haven't thought about before versus you're telling them what the problem is. Exactly. And exactly. and telling them what the answer should be. Yes. And telling them how, basically forcing it upon them. Well, and there again, talk about that's not sustainable. No, it's you not. You might affect a tiny little shift in that person if you come at mm-hmm. it from that angle, but it's not going to be theirs. I always try to figure out mm-hmm. how to show up and hold space for clients in ways that helps them walk out the door owning everything they yes. say. And the other thing that I think is helpful for us as coaches is to ask questions that we may already suspect the answer, mm-hmm. but I want my client to hear themselves say yes. it. Yes. Yep. Like I, I kind of know what's happening here, but I want to hear you say it so that you can hear you say it. Mm-hmm. 
because then it becomes yours. Yep. And then you walk out the door with it and it's yours. Yep. And there again, then I don't have to hold it anymore. Exactly. Right. (laughs) Then I'm like, okay. (laughs) I know. And I know that there have been times in our sessions where I've asked you something and I've said, I have a theory. Mm -hmm. And when I say it, if you come out at me and say, no, I don't think that's it, then okay. Yeah. Because, and and I'll know with you or with any client. Sure. I'll, I'll be able to know if, are they saying they don't think it's it because they're not ready to deal with it or because it really isn't. Yep. And you can tell, like learning how to read body language and, and mm-hmm. voices and facial expressions yep. will, will cue you into that yep. as a coach. But that takes practice. For sure. And it also takes a lot of self-awareness. A hundred percent. Because if you're not willing to admit things to yourself yep. as a coach. Yeah. And where you struggle personally and what you're working on, mm-hmm. you can't pull that out of a client. No. No. And you won't even attract clients that you can work with on right. that level. Yep. That's what I find anyway in my mm-hmm. practice. Because the the clients that show up with me and and at my door and, you know, meet me in the online space and stuff, typically, and this is one thing I really enjoyed about my training, is accepting the fact that all I need to be is a step or two ahead of anyone to be yep. able to help them. Mm-hmm. And what I find is I've got clients that show up that are me two weeks ago mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> or six months ago, you know, and th- that's super exciting because mm-hmm. I really don't want anything I've ever been through to be wasted. Right. I want to squeeze every little bit of worth out of everything that I've been through uh-huh. and know that it can offer at least some hope mm-hmm. to someone else. So that's that's why I do what I do. Okay, so I want to leave on two last notes. Okay. What, how has your personal story and what you've been through made you more passionate as a coach? Oh, that's such a big question. <laughs> I know. If you want to narrow it down to it really is. what is something challenging you have overcome? Yes. It's basically the same question yeah. asked a different way. Well, and I think, you know, when I was um, my declared major as I graduated from high school was child psychology. Okay. And if I had stayed in college, I probably would have gotten at least a, a normal, regular psychology degree. I mean, back how many ever millions of years mm-hmm. ago? I don't know that they were as specialized as they are now, those different psychology degrees. Psychology has fascinated me forever. And I was that friend that everyone, I was Dear Abby, that uh-huh. everyone came to. And it, I loved it. It was never, it, it kind of fed my spirit. So the psychology aspect was really big for me. And then in 1990. Nine, I was diagnosed with my very first, I've got a collection of them, but my very first autoimmune disorder, the matching set. Um, and I'm laughing because the way you say it is, <laughs> is a little sassy, a little sassy. <laughs> and I, yeah. Yeah. So I was diagnosed with, I, I actually, I think it, I'm up to about five different autoimmune disorders right now. Um, and I instinctively knew I grew up, my mom was an RN, so I was very steeped in the traditional Western medicine model the whole Mm -hmm. time I was growing up. In fact, I was kind of brainwashed from a very young age to believe that people outside of that realm, including chiropractors and those kind Mm -hmm. of practitioners were 
not to be trusted. That that's a nice way of saying what actually was said in the house that I grew mm-hmm. up in. Um, and so, but what was interesting to me is I'm not cut from that cloth just naturally. So I um, sought out more natural, holistic practitioners. And as I did, I um, realized that I could affect um, change in my own health status by becoming my own best advocate Mm -hmm. and arming myself with information. So a lot of that was food related. So then there's the food piece. So there's the the psychology piece and then there's the food piece and the nutrition um, making a difference in some of those autoimmune conditions that I was diagnosed with. Um, and then in 2010, I was diagnosed with super aggressive stage three breast cancer. Um, and I kind of slowed my research down a little bit. Mm-hmm. But what was more um, fascinating to me at that point was the, the, um, the connection of the two. Like... Mm-hmm. It truly eating psychology, <laughs> you know, yep. which I didn't know. I didn't know that that was even a thing until um, on Facebook, probably four years ago now. Um, one of the people that I'm friends with on Facebook was following this place called the Institute for the Eating or Institute of, I can't even say it now, Institute for the Psychology of Eating and sharing some posts that this uh-huh. institute was um posting and the level at which those things resonated with me freaked me out. And then I saw that they had certification training and that was it. I was like, fine, this, I mean, I'm, I could go back to school and get a psychology degree. Mm -hmm. That's not out of the realm of possibility. I'm still (laughs) a little young. (laughs) I have a little bit of life left ahead of me, but, Uh um, For me, I feel like what I'm able to do with the certification that I have Mm -hmm. and the mind body eating coaching certification also that I have alongside it um, actually marries what I've Mm -hmm. been passionate about pretty much my whole life. Yeah. So that's how, was that the question? Sure. (laughs) How, like how I ended up Uh becoming, what was the question? (laughs) <laughs> I don't even remember. I'd have to rewind it. But I I think sharing a part of your story, too, of what you've overcome and how how, how that landed me where has I'm landed at. you sure. um, being so passionate about yeah. this. And I think I think that that whole psychology aspect is something that you and I just we could chat for hours. Well, about we're kind of a little bit nerds about it. Really. We are. Uh-huh. I told Nate one time, I'm like, if I could go back in time and stay in college and pick something other than yeah. I'm going to be a singer. Because I wasn't, I don't like concerts, Uh, giving them. I don't like giving concerts. I'm a creator is Uh, really what I am. But I think if I could go back in time and figure out like a plan B, I think I really would have enjoyed psychology. Because the the depth of conversations that I have, that and I also nerd out on spiritual things. So just whatever that's worth. But you did answer my question. Thank you. I get so like super excited and want to share all the information that I forget what the question was. I think this episode has been so packed with information and not only uh, information, but passion. Like Aww. it just oozes out of you. Aww. And so I know that I'm going to want to listen to this again and again. I would encourage every listener who's like, wow, this was good. Listen to it again and again. And 
definitely um, get in touch with Laura because oh. she is worth working with. She's worth knowing. She's one of my very favorite people in the whole oh. wide world. Um, the last question that I want to ask you, besides where can people find you, we'll end with that. But okay. the last question that I ask everybody is, if you were a shoe, what would you be and why? Um, because I've worked with you for as long as I have, my answer, I was realizing my answer has changed over time. It has. Uh-huh. Um, one of my first answers referenced getting permission from my children to be a cowboy boot because they yes, don't want me to wear cowboy boots. That was a long time ago. It was a super long time ago. Um, right now, I have in my closet at home the exact pair of shoes that I would be. Okay. And I would be a pair of velvet van slip-ons. What color? Well, the ones I have in my closet are kind of a really deep ruby. Okay. And I, oh, I have I, seen these. I, yeah, you have. Yes, I, have. I, I also have a navy pair of velvet oh. ones, and I'm on my way shortly to get a pink pair of velvet <gasps> ones. Like, like a, dusty, a bright pink? No, or like a dusty rose. Okay. Yep. Um, no, not much matches my hair. No, but I love, <laughs> I love your hair. Thank you. I do, too. But I would be that because I most days simultaneously feel a little fancy. Maybe it's my hair. Um, and comfy and uh-huh. casual and approachable. And to me, that's what a velvet van is. A slip on. A slip so on. That's, yeah, that's love it. Yeah. I love how you described it. Yeah. So Laura, where can people connect with you online and find you if they want to work with you? Okay. Well, online, I do have a website. It's nourish.coach which I love the dot coach, you know, normally it's like dot yeah. com or yep. whatever. Um, I was able to get dot coach. So it's nourish N O U R I S H dot coach. I'm on Facebook. You can search nourish dot coach on Facebook. Um, Instagram is at nourish dot coach. See, it gets real complicated here. Cause I'm <laughs> nourish dot coach. Um, <laughs> and my phone number is 701-400-8551. And you can, um, hit me up on email to info at nourish dot coach. Awesome. And seriously, Overcomers, I really do encourage you to connect with Laura, follow her, get to know her. If at all this has been like, oh man, I think I need to work with an eating psychology coach. Let me tell you something. You would be the most blessed person, lucky person in the whole wide world to get to work with Laura. She's amazing. And um, like I said, she's one of my very favorite people in the entire world. So Laura, thank you so much for this in-depth conversation filled with some laughter and um, just realness and rawness. Um, That's one of the things I also love about you. So thank you for showing up and holding space here on the She Who Overcomes podcast. Thank you, Mandy, for inviting me. Thank you. I want to say right back at you, you are one of my favorite people. And all of you overcomers out there that listen to Manny's podcast, if you haven't taken the next step to become one of our clients, you will flourish under her guidance and leadership. She is absolutely one of the most gifted people that I've ever had the opportunity to work with. So thank you for having me. And I can't wait to hang out later today. Yes, it's coaching day here at Rayma Team. So, all right. Overcomers, have a great week and we will catch you next week with a brand new episode. Hey guys, thanks again for listening. I'll be back with another episode for you next week. But for now, if you would take a moment and write a review or subscribe to the podcast, that would mean the world to me. I also want to give a shout out to my very handsome husband, 
Mr. Nate Anderson, for editing this podcast. For more information, go to www.raymateam.com. That's www.raymateam.com. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram under the name Ms. Mandy B. Anderson. Oh, and one last thing. I hope you heard something today that gave you the courage to rise up and overcome that thing that you've been facing. You're stronger than you think. I'll see you next week.